Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit, the horror movie review podcast for horror fans and fanatics alike. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, delivering horror movie reviews and discussions of both classic and current films every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for your twisted pleasure. Please be aware that episodes may include spoilers, and as always, I hope you enjoy. For today's episode of Daily Horror Habit, friend of the show Bernie and I will be wrapping up our Saw series review, for now anyways, with the discussion on this year's entry in the franchise, Spiral from the Book of Saw. This latest entry, which is currently available on VOD platforms, follows Detective Zeke Banks, played by Chris Rock, whose mission to clean up corruption in his department becomes intertwined with a new series of killings that resemble the handiwork of John Kramer, aka Jigsaw, despite him being long dead. Zeke reluctantly takes on new partner Detective William Shank, played by Max Minghella, as the duo set out to try to uncover the copycat's identity who's targeting law enforcement with a series of new deadly games. So without further ado, Bernie, welcome back to the show. I appreciate it, man. It's uh, it's bittersweet that this is ending, but I'm uh, certainly excited to, to chat about this. Absolutely. You know, we've been on this journey now for... Uh, I believe this is the ninth film in the series and mm -hmm. the last few we haven't been too keen on. So uh, I'm excited to kind of see what this second reboot seemingly in almost five years um, has in store and kind of just talk about maybe your expectations going into this because the last reboot that we talked about last week, Jigsaw, didn't necessarily uh, completely remove the taste of the final chapter from our mouths. Uh, but I'm curious to hear what you thought about Spiral. Yeah, I mean, you know, with a cast that includes Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson, I mean, you're certainly going to have higher expectations just due to that cast, right? Um, but it, it was, I love Chris Rock. It was at times very difficult to watch him in this because he just doesn't come off, not as a serious actor, but uh, because of all the funny things that we've seen him in, I just keep thinking that there's going to be a punchline at the end of what he's saying, and it's a Saw movie, so it's just <laughs> a weird, I don't know, there's just a weird dichotomy of that for me, but but what about you? How did you enjoy it? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I was skeptical just because of the fact that it was Chris Rock, and he is obviously somebody that has branched out more from just comedies, like he was in the last season of Fargo, which is on FX, and he's definitely somebody that I think is stepping out of his comfort zone while still drawing certain elements from it it just seems like it's still kind of hard when your entire career especially is based in like comedy right and it's this idea that all of a sudden he's thrown into one of the saw films and i guess the reason the primary reason is is that he kind of pitched lionsgate on this right the idea of doing another reboot and he was so heavily involved that i mean he went on to obviously be the lead but he's also a co-writer and a producer on the film mm -hmm. so i was hopeful that that wouldn't sort of mar the entire film, right? The idea that this so uh, heavily comedic person is in this lead role for a horror film. And it's the type of thing where I tried to keep my sort of expectations in check, but it was the one element that I really don't think worked for me yeah. in this reboot. And yet I think this movie succeeds where the last few have actually failed. But I guess I'm curious... How does Darren Lynn Boseman returning to direct? And of course, he was the uh, director of Saw 2, 3, and 4. And uh, how do you think that he did with coming back to the series after that extended departure? I mean, I think 
his point in this wasn't necessarily to continue the John Kramer story of Saw, right? It right. was to try and create this new angle where we could still have some sort of continuation to to this Saw story, right? Um, I look the box office would prove me wrong and even with all you know the covid situation it's still i believe the budget was 20 million and mm-hmm. they uh just the box office alone was like 38 39 million dollars that it grossed um that doesn't include you know licensing to hbo or wherever uh, it's going to be you know going to um i i just i didn't think that it really, it, I, I don't think they did a good job in creating uh, as entertaining of a saw as this could have been. Um, I certainly appreciated where he went with this. And um, I think, you know, some of the kills or at least some of the traps that, that that were there, they were certainly more unique in how they were grotesque, but there was very much a, uh, you know, a separation between, you know, even to how crazy you know, bad we thought some of the last movies of, of Saw were, there was still like a way that you actually could survive them. There really weren't ways that these guys could survive those, uh, you know, for the most part, those uh, traps. So like, that's where I was a little bit hesitant, I guess, to, you know, seeing how, you know, everything kind of ended up playing out. It seemed to be more grotesque for grotesque sake rather than, again some sort of a continuation to the saw story in my opinion hmm interesting i guess i disagree just in terms of well i guess before we get into sort of the elements that we didn't necessarily enjoy the most about the film because i definitely have some pretty uh pretty severe reservations on elements of spiral it definitely did not work for me Mm -hmm. but i will say just in terms of how the film succeeds early on i think that this movie and i mean Bozeman even said in an interview that he wanted to change things up visually. And that was a big issue that I had with probably the last, I mean, before Jigsaw, the probably three or four films that came out before Jigsaw previously, I thought they looked progressively worse just in terms of the way that they were shot. And again, I don't know the technical aspects of it, but it just looked very sort of daytime soap opera-ish. I think that was the way that I phrased that in uh, a couple of our episodes ago. But this, I found that he really succeeded in that regard. And a lot of that is thanks to cinematographer Jordan Orm, who has worked in the music video realm of things, I believe. I think he had done work with uh, Drake on a couple of those. But it's a really great example, I think. And like that sounds kind of random at first. But I think that I'm finding, especially with horror, that there's lots of these cinematographers that are coming from outside of traditional film or even the genre in general, right, of horror. It's more about them bringing, and it's especially true of music direct, uh, music video directors, where they're taking the highly stylized nature of that and applying it to film in a way that it brings this new texture. And I mean, it helps that Saw has looked like shit for the last several films. But I think that this film has such a great look to it. It doesn't have the same oppressive brown green tint to it that a lot of the previous ones do it's much crisper and i think that overall like it's just a better looking film now it's not the best looking horror film i've seen or even the best thriller film uh, in terms of the look even though it definitely kind of takes a couple of notes out of like seven's book right a lot of the sort of 
transitions and cuts and edits and things like that feel very seven-ish. But I think that this is definitely a step in the right direction in terms of the presentation, right? Which, if anything, I think it bleeds into the traps and the portrayal of those and that being even better, I think, than it has looked over the course of the last uh, several years. But one thing I wanted to bring up with you is the more socially conscious premise of Spiral, right? We saw this with, I believe it was Saw 6, where the storyline is tied around an insurance group that has essentially been not, not defrauding, but maybe going out of their way to ensure that people aren't able to get the full extent of their benefits and kind of screwing people out of money or pay that they're deserved, basically. Kind of when they they find this sort of small little thing, oh, you're in violation of that, so all of a sudden we're not going to pay for your uh, medical care, right? That was the big theme of it. And it was seeing these people being punished for basically kind of being these vampires that prey on society and whatnot. Spiral from the Book of Saw, I think, interestingly enough, it really ties into police corruption, abuse of power, and these sort of hot button issues that are going on in our current uh, society and our sort of political climate. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious for you, how did they, and by they, I should state that it's uh, the writers from Jigsaw, right? It's Pete Goldfinger and Josh Stolberg. So they're returning as well, in addition to Boseman, of course. So we have people that are in the creative, that have the creative reins of Spiral mm -hmm. in this second reboot in five years that have familiarity within the genre. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, how do you think that this new, this returning creative team handles that premise? I mean, they certainly, to your, to as you said, right? Um, there's a lot of overtures to the current socio-political climate in this movie. Um, I think the basically the premise of this movie is in in a sense because of police brutality, right? And Mm -hmm. the, this new iteration of Jigsaw is born. Um, I certainly appreciated the angle. I just, I think that it could have been executed a little bit better, if, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, this is not the first time that they've done this, to your point. Um, I think this was better executed than Saw 6 in that case, but um, I still think that there was certainly it's probably more so tied to the storyline, but um, I think there was certainly some things that were you know, left to be desired, so to speak. Yeah, I think my issue with this is that moment to moment, it doesn't hold up well, but I think structurally in terms of crafting the entire movie around this premise mm -hmm. and how intrinsic that is to the traps and the victims and these things, right. in that regard, I think it works well. Mm -hmm. But again, like moment to moment, right. the script really falls apart. And I think I'm going to we'll lean into uh, some of our shortcomings with the script and maybe casting in general in a minute. But I think that it's such an important topic that this film simply lacks the nuance to handle it in a way past sort of just what you see on the surface, right? All of the cops that are becoming victims of Jigsaw, they're all corrupt and it's always, yeah, they've murdered somebody or it's always these very extreme examples, which are fine because there's clearly, uh, there's ever increasing evidence that these are really things that are happening in our society, but the ways in which the narrative and the characters sort of just allow this investigation and all of this to play out, mm -hmm. it's just, again, it's a surface level examination of everything. It's more of like a moral hand-wringing in the sense that, yeah, it's it's very black and white in terms of just like, this is bad, this is good mm -hmm. type of thing. And it doesn't really feel like there's a conversation being had. It feels like it's just more 
Oh yeah, he murdered somebody, so clearly he's bad. Right. Um, which I think is interesting, just in terms of, I guess, the ways in which they're handling the subject matter. I think they even handled it better in um, Saw Six in terms of like the insurance stuff, right, and getting down to that. But in this, it kind of just feels like they have this massive premise and sort of just, I don't know, it's the type of thing where it's like, if you're not going to ensure that the script addresses these real world issues in a way past sort of just, hey, this is a cool justification for ripping somebody's tongue off or ripping their fingers off, which we'll get into in a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, it feels like a missed opportunity. It feels like you had the floor essentially to say something in addition to the sort of entertaining horror and gory moments that we all love in these series. Mm -hmm. And yet at the end of the day, it's kind of just like, yeah, that's basically what I assumed. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, he murdered somebody. Of course he's going to die type of thing. Um, That doesn't really feel like a conversation is being had, Um, which again, I don't know. It's one of those things where some people are like, well, it's just a movie. But then it's like, well, if you're going to invoke real world issues, you should maybe have something to say other than, breaking the law is bad, which I would hope everybody knows and whatnot. And that goes for whether they're in law enforcement or not, right? It's this idea that if you're going to bring up something like that, say something. It just feels like it's a missed opportunity not to say something. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no matter what the director or the writers feel in regards to this type of conversation, it's just, it'd be nice to get some semblance of a personality or a statement out of it other than Killing people is bad, which, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't have expected much more than that, and yet here we are. But I think the best example of the lack of subtlety and sort of nuance is that the doll that used to be Billy from Jigsaw's era, obviously Jigsaw's not the killer in this one, but it's somebody that has adopted his methodology and all of these things. They've adopted a new doll, and it's a pig in a cop uniform. Cops are pigs, basically. Like, that's the level of nuance and sort of lack of subtlety we're dealing with here, so I suppose... I should have led with that because that would have been then saying like, yeah, they're going to touch upon these topics, but they're not really going to say much with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I think lack of subtlety, it really is kind of the name of this movie because every aspect of the, like the character portrayals is so over the top. It lacks any freaking, I mean, again, I, I love Chris Rock. He's kind of the the perfect example of this where it seemed like every scene that he was in was like the most important scene and it kept building on each other. So there was always this angst or, you know, he's screaming at someone or, you know, but at the end, like, I don't know. I just don't think they built enough into his character uh, mm-hmm. and plus in the way that he acted and portrayed him where... <laughs> right you are buying that he's in pain or that he's, you know, he just seemed to be like, you know, it's hard. I don't want to insult, you know, I I hate to insult someone like Chris Rock, but it just, it seemed like almost like in true detective where uh, Vince Vaughn is trying to portray (laughs) a cop and it's like, I can't fucking buy it. I just can't fucking buy it. He was a mobster, I think, but yeah, he was, he was not selling that at all. He it might as well have been a cop because I couldn't tell what he was going for. <laughs> but I don't think it's... I mean, granted, our introduction to Chris Rock is he's literally just doing... It feels like every single scene he's talking in, it's just him doing stand-up, essentially, right? Yeah. It's him ranting and raving like he does on stage, which is great when he's on stage. And it's we're there under the idea that this is a comedy show. We're, we want to see this guy touch upon some race stuff, talk touch upon some political stuff, 
And then he can just like bitch about anything and it's hilarious and very nuanced. And the way that he is able to orchestrate his entire identity and touch upon such a plethora of subject matter and make it all hilarious and relatable on some level is why he's one of the best people that's ever done stand up, right? Mm But when you're taking that and you're applying it to a horror film, for me at least, it really doesn't work because the tonal shift is so jarring from what you're expecting. And yeah, with another reboot and this being from the book of Saw, which I think that's important too that we should touch upon in that it's not just Spiral, it's Spiral from the book of Saw or it's not Saw Spiral, right? So from the book of Saw, I think that sort of uh, co-title is important because it readjust expectations that this is not going to be exactly like a traditional Saw movie. And in that regard, I think the film actually does succeed better than I thought it was going to. And yet there's so much tonal awkwardness in it because of the such a heavy emphasis on humor and him doing what he does best. It just feels very out of place here in a way that I don't necessarily think that it left the intended mark that it did. Or maybe they wanted it to be literally as funny as it, well, I wouldn't say it ended up being funny, but maybe they just wanted a lot more of this sort of tonal changes to give people something new. Yeah. But I just don't think that makes for a good Saw movie when you have these certain expectations tied into it, right? They shouldn't have even included Saw in the co-title if they're not going to give more of a semblance of what those movies actually kind of are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, I could not envision in any of the previous Saw movies somebody making jokes and it being in any kind of way uh, on theme with them. I mean, the entire premise of these movies is you're putting people into some sort of miserable pain so they can make adjustments. And we start the movie off essentially with Chris Rock doing a bit about Forrest Gump. Like, yeah. it's... <laughs> I just had no fucking idea yeah. what I was watching. So again, mm-hmm. to your point, there it, there's never a set tone because as soon as we start to, as you know, Chris starts making jokes in this, and then we're supposed mm-hmm. to take him or excuse me, Zeke Banks's character, um, he's making jokes, and then after that, we're supposed to take him serious when he's yelling. Right. We know from the actor that you know, there's something always funny coming after that. So again, so more so <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not worried about like, you know, the the quick, you know, pig scene where, you know, it puts someone's, uh, you know, whatever that uh, cloth was over their face and knocks them out. I'm mm-hmm. more kind of anticipating Chris, you know, making some kind of joke. And then again, to your point, I'm not watching a Saw movie. I'm watching some quasi- horror like it's kind of like a scary movie kind of almost (laughs) um so yeah i just and certainly he's not the worst offender of this i mean right some of the cops in this you know they have like this clint eastwood vibe that they're trying to go for and none of them (laughs) can really do it and again just you don't know if this is to your point if this is supposed to be a humorous movie or if they're trying to you know be serious throughout this Well, I think the problem is, and again, I could be mistaken, but it doesn't seem like a majority of the people involved in this from a creative standpoint, like behind the camera or in the writer's room or whatever, Mm -hmm. have a great grasp on like how humor actually works, right? Because 
it, for starters, a lot of this humor is fucking dated. Like joking about Forrest Gump. I think they used Twilight as a punchline at one point, and I was like, how fucking long ago was that? We're still like making jokes about Twilight and all this shit. But at the same time, like you said, every single time that Chris Rock is talking, it's just this long. Again, it's him doing a bit, yeah. right? It's not. It's one thing if it's these like little quick snappy things, but that's not necessarily Chris Rock's style, right? He is used to pontificating essentially on stage and going off on these long tangents that he's able to make them funny because he's a storyteller. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that that necessarily translates into him being funny for three or four minutes at a time on screen. Like that introduction scene where he's an undercover cop, which I don't think necessarily makes sense because he's supposed to be a detective and all of a sudden he's undercover and he's doing an undercover operation without the police departments knowing about it. And they're like, you can't keep doing this. And I was like, who does Who gets away with this more than once and doesn't get fired immediately. But it's the type of thing where that's like a five minute scene of our introduction to him. And he's doing a bit to a room full of these guys that are going to go rob somebody. And it's an undercover sting. That scene goes on for so goddamn long. And it's probably not even like I said, five minutes. It's probably only a three minute scene, Yeah. but it's just watching him do what he does in a comedy club but in a movie, and then it goes from that to somebody gets murdered to another three or four minute routine that he does with his new partner, Shank, where he's bitching about his ex-wife and all this type of stuff, which, yeah, he's done that on stage, but it kind of just feels mailed in in a way for him. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel like that we're seeing anything that he hasn't done on stage in a comedy club or a theater. But also, again, it just feels like an awkward fit for the flow of a film or just the sort of letting that play out across the course of a scene, which again, I mean, that is further extended to Samuel Jackson who plays his father in this. And I feel like his Samuel Jackson was literally only in this because they could put that, you wanna play a game motherfucker line in the trailer for the movie, right? It's kind of just like, again, we're, it's almost like we're too in on the joke in these movies. like. Uh, Apart from that being uh, Samuel Jackson's go-to in a lot of movies is saying motherfucker, which is, yeah, hilarious on screen and I love it and I eat it up just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But when you're pairing that with like dated humor and then even like Rock making like New Jack City jokes, which he was in New Jack City, he plays the crackhead back in the day in that 90s movie. It's just like the movie is too self-aware yeah. in terms of the humor that it's using. And I mean, uh, pairing that with it being dated doesn't help but it just feels too tonally strange. Again, I'm not opposed to them making like a lot of dark humor in these types of movies, just because, yeah, these cops are looking at these completely fantastical, fucked up uh, amalgamations of meat, essentially, which is what's left of victims from these insane traps that would never exist. But at the same time, like it doesn't feel like it's reactionary humor in uh, Spiral. It feels more like it's just hey, we're gonna make the audience laugh. And then three or four minutes go by and you're like, okay, we gotta get back to something serious or tense or gory or something. And it kind of just feels stretched out. I mean, the movie was only, what? It was just barely 90 minutes or something to that extent? Yeah, something like But I mean, it just feels much longer because it's such an odd hodgepodge of genres blending together. Yeah, and I mean, again, uh, not to not to make this a, a you know throwing Chris under the bus thing, but um, you know throughout the story, me and you are watching it, 
and we watched it together and you can tell there are certain homages so to speak to saw and one of the immediate ones that we pointed out uh well you know at least when the it happened in the movie was when detective shank died Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, I had thought one of the coroners was in on this, so I, you know, I'm I'm one for two technically, not not one for <laughs> one. But um, when that happened, and he didn't, we didn't actually see him die. Mm-hmm. That instantly made me think of, I believe it was, I forget if it was in Saw three or four, but that same kind of scenario happened. We saw someone in theory get killed. Um, mm-hmm. only to find out that, you know, they were in on it, essentially. Yeah. I I think that was another thing that kind of ruined this movie for me, is that it was it was too easily... I don't know, you you knew what was going to happen. You, there's no way that Chris was going to die. I didn't think that Samuel L. Jackson was going to die. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, there, you're one, you're there, one for two there. There wasn't anything that... Well, maybe, but either way, I mean, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I think that the way that this movie went, um, it was, there was nothing in this that was unbelievable in a way that really, I think, made Saw so good in that you had really no fucking idea what was going to happen. Um, so, yeah, that that certainly was something that, that was sad for me watching this movie or at least finishing it up. Yeah, you know, I think, again, like, I really like the the premise of, like, basically Jigsaw basically is like, all cops are bastards, right? That's basically what he's saying. He's kind of just joining uh, the ACAB crowd. But it's the idea that this is a premise that I think is fine for the entire structure of the film, but again, moment to moment. And I think, again, the twist, You, I mean, how do you not see that coming? Like, I don't know if it's just the actor, uh, Max... Uh, Minghella or what but it's just like he shows up and whether it's him just like me reading too much into his appearance or whatever or the writing for his character he's just suspect from the moment he joins mm-hmm. right and so you're of course like uh, it's either him or it's supposed to be one of the other disgruntled cops and that's a big thing with Chris Rock's arc is that they view him as being a rat going so far as I think in one scene they put a rat trap with the dead rat in it on his desk because he ratted out one of his, I think it was his partner who killed somebody. Mm-hmm. And so he's trying to fight corruption. Oh, is it one of the cops that feel that he's a rat that's doing all of these things or something to that effect? But at the end of the day, like it's just so on the nose and it's so oblivious to like actually shrouding this in mystery mm-hmm. that the twist ends up not being a twist really because at the end of the movie, I don't know about you, but I was kind of just like, well, of course it was. I think we both said that even when we were watching it. Yeah. We were like, well, fucking of course it was because it wouldn't be anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I everything in this movie was very much something that's already happened. Either we've seen it in a Saw movie or we've seen it in some sort of like a Law & Order spinoff. Like, it, there was really nothing unique about this. And again, that's why I feel this was such a badly missed opportunity. I mean, even like Captain Angie's death or Captain Garcia, excuse me, she died in the police. I mean, how many times have we now seen cops dying in police stations? It's like, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that you mentioned like homages 
two previous Saw films and whatnot. And I thought that was a perfect example of that, right? Because you've had in at least three of the Saw films, I think it, I forget the guy's name now already just because it was so, inf- uh, Hoffman, that's who it was, who's like the dirty cop that's the Jigsaw accomplice in several of the movies. Like he goes on two or three rampages in police stations at one point where he just starts knifing and shooting everybody and nobody can <laughs> stop him. So I love that they had one of the traps be in the police station and the cops don't know it until it's too late. Like little moments like that, I love. And I'm glad that you brought up traps because it's time we get into them. I mean, how did you find the traps overall? I mean, I think the traps were ironically the best part of this movie. Uh, yeah. There were certainly some more unique traps in this. Um, Absolutely. To start how uh, the guy is basically hanging by his tongue and a train <laughs> is coming. I don't think either way he survives because I'm pretty sure there's a lot of veins and, you know, you're going you to bleed out. to death. Yeah, you're probably going to bleed out if you cut your tongue off like that. But that's neither here nor there. That, <laughs> I mean... I certainly enjoyed uh, when Captain Angie Garcia had the, what was it, clay or oil? uh, Wax. Wax, excuse me, put on, like, it. hot wax was basically kind of like waterboarded over her face. Mm. Um, And (laughs) Detective Zeke Banks comes in and he's like, oh, no, I can still save her. And then he just starts, (laughs) like, tearing pieces of her face off that's melted already. Like, I don't know, that... You know, I found that humorous, but also that's a pretty gnarly scene. Um, That budget certainly came into use there. I I certainly appreciated the 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 traps in this movie. I I would say that's probably in the you know top fifty percentile of all Saw movies. (laughs) Um, But certainly, you know, again, you know, not not nearly any any of the best ones that we've seen. But what what about you? Oh man, I really, really liked them. I thought this was a perfect blending of creativity and brutality. This was something that we've been talking about over the course of the last three Saw films or something. Just such a lack of both of those. That's right. A lack of creativity. I mean, we've seen people now be tortured. It's like, how many times can you see somebody like get their throat slit or their jaw ripped open or whatever? These kind of like staples of the Saw series, right? And I found that it's two things, right? It's the terms of creativity and brutality. But also, again, it comes back to this film looking better than probably the last four or five Saw films have. And that's mostly thanks to Jordan Oram, who's the cinematographer. Again, I think his ability to capture the traps and just the overall framing of those scenes is really well done. Mm -hmm. And it's done so in a way that it doesn't heavily rely on that fucking staple that this series will never shake, where it's that quick edit where the camera spins around and it kind of like shows the guy screaming and it's his move their movements are always sped up to show them like struggling or channeling essentially or making it clear to the audience like they're stressed out or the anxiety behind it the adrenaline pumping that's the edit that a feature of that that i've always hated but they used it so sparingly here and they really just let the sort of raw predicament of each trap kind of like sit there and showing all the sort of just grungy tetanus metal elements to it that are so nasty and gross that it really worked for me in a way that it hasn't in a while. I mean, mm-hmm. it's worth mentioning also that this film had to be submitted to the MPAA 11 times, just cutting footage because they were like, listen, you're not going to get an R rating, mm-hmm. which I think definitely shows. And maybe it shows a little too much, especially like when um, 
Detective Fitch essentially gets his fing if he wants freedom, he has to get his fingers ripped off, mm -hmm. which is pulling him basically out of a vat of water. Otherwise, if the water rises too high, he's gonna get electrocuted. So he's basically getting pulled out of this pit mm -hmm. by his fingers that are getting ripped off. They had to essentially edit that scene down a lot because it was so gruesome, but it's still very uncomfortable to watch. And I just love the way that the whole scene is framed, right? Because He's in this pool of water in a dark room, but there's sort of this neon blue light coming out of the water that illuminates it and kind of just, it has like this dark city vibe almost to it. But pairing that, the sort of uh, set design element, which is actually like visually appealing for a change instead of just being like green and brown uh, warehouses and stuff like that. Yeah. Pairing it with the way that the scenes are framed, but then also just the brutal, the creative brutality of it and whatnot. Um, really kind of just hit in a way that I find these movies haven't for so long. And I think that that, and of course the first trap I think is really great too. And like you had mentioned where detective Boz basically, of course he gets jumped by the pig face uh, jigsaw mask. And then he's hanging by his tongue and he's standing on a stool and he basically has to use his own body weight to free himself by just ripping his tongue off, which is just gnarly before obviously you even get the moment where he frees himself and then gets hit by the train and explodes into 10,000 pieces but just the camera being close up on his tongue and this metal vice and he's like starts squirming and freaking out like it's just very very skin crawling and gross in a way that I don't think I've described in a majority of the traps in the last like three or four films right because previously they were and especially like the final chapter comes to mind they're so specific about just wanting to show lots of gore yeah. and the quality of the gore in those is not good like we had talked about like it's just such a such a dumbing down and it looks cheap and shitty and fake but also those scenes are all constructed around getting to the gore mm -hmm. whereas i think that in spiral the traps are more about highlighting the traps and letting us sort of breathe in that space and seeing how gross it is and how painful it must be and all these things right. rather than just sort of like speeding past that and getting right to the gore. There's still gore to be had, but it just feels, and I don't know if this is the right way to phrase it, but it feels like a more tasteful presentation of these things that are very gross and in some instances, very lowbrow. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I mean, what in terms of like where this movie ranks for you in the Saw series, where would you put it at? Um, You know, it's definitely towards the lower end. But this is the thing with this movie that I think, like, it has some pretty significant flaws in it, mm -hmm. but I think it still serves as a step in the right direction, which really, when you're getting, again, your second reboot in five years, essentially, I think that I walked away from Spiral feeling much more optimistic about the future of Saw than, or this, like, new spin-off series around Saw that borrows various elements from it, but maybe moves in more of a detective angle. Mm -hmm. I feel much more optimistic about the future of Saw based off of this movie. There's still a lot of work to be done and I think it starts with writers and it probably, well, we'll see. I it, I find it hard to believe that like Chris Rock wouldn't return for this if given the option, given how much of a fan he is. Right. But at the same time, I think the direction that they're taking in, taking the sort of few elements from the Saw series that are what the mo are the most standout, right? Which is obviously the gore and the traps and that type of stuff but moving in a more seven direction, right? It's more of a mystery, more of a detective, more of a whodunit sort of narrative. 
now you just need the same attention that's given to the brutality and the traps to the writing, which sounds very simplistic to say, but I think we need to get people that are from outside of the sh the Saw genre to essentially come in and write. Because, you know, the there were uh, the few strengths of Jigsaw, which again, they weren't many, was definitely not the writing. There's The writing was never the part of Jigsaw where I was like, oh yeah, that makes for a good reboot. If anything, that was the biggest letdown of that. And to see those writers return is definitely doing the true potential of Spiral a disservice, I think. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that it shows that if you take a, whether they're gonna continue down this route in terms of the premise that ties everything together and the mystery and essentially the traps and whatnot, you can apply sort of current events to this to be structurally sound for the film. It's just that it's those moment to moment scenes that if you don't have the writing to back them up, the entire thing's gonna fall flat, yeah. which in a big way, this narrative completely falls flat, right? And they don't do a great job of sort of shrouding the actual mystery angle of the film either. Right. Yet, I still find that it's promising that you can see them at least apply a more interesting overall narrative idea and tie traps into it successfully. It's just kind of everything else that kind of fell apart for me. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree with you. I, I think when you look at this movie in comparison to all of saw it's certainly to your point you know i think it's right around the 50 percent mark for me maybe a little bit higher but like when you compare it to the last two three movies this does look good yeah. the only caveat for me at least was just the fact that i i just really didn't I didn't see the same positivity that you did. Maybe that's because I'm pessimistic, but um, I just, I don't know. I, I saw this as, although it's certainly a positive step in the right direction from what the two wonderful cinematic pieces of art that we saw uh, as the last two films, uh, <laughs> pre previous films and saw, um, this movie just, I don't know if you're going to have the same I don't know, the same kind of vigor for watching this. That sounds weird to say. Uh, let me. <laughs> well, we've been talking about the positives and negatives of brutal murder scenes for the better part of 30 minutes. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's natural that you're going to complimentary to it now. But um, I, I just think that overall, the this just is lacking something critical to what, again, makes Saw really good. Um, and I, I think if they continue on a storyline like this, you're going to lose the people that did have that just genuine horror, but love for John Kramer and how much of a badass he is. And we certainly didn't see any type of, uh, you know, indication that they were anywhere close to developing a character like that. That's going to make us want to watch something like this. Yeah, you know, for as gnarly as the traps and the deaths are and things like that, again, if you're trying to reboot a franchise that now has had nine entries, it's the type of thing where, like, if we're actually going to turn a new page in the Book of Saw, um, it's the type of thing where if you're going to turn the page, it literally has to be an overhaul in some pretty major ways in most departments. Now, visually, I think they nail that, right? This looks like a $20 million movie, Whereas the other movies cost 10 or something like that, and they looked like they cost about two, right. in my opinion. 
Um, now, in that department, I think they succeeded. But there's definitely, again, narratively speaking, there's some pretty big changes and drastic changes that I think need to happen. We need to have a character that we see a future in, which I don't see Chris Rock being, even if he does return for another uh, chapter in Detective Zeke's book, because as the movie ends rather abruptly with the sort of reveal, and then he has to make the choice, is he going to shoot Shank or is he going to save his father? And he saves his father, but in typical Saw fashion, death is never the end, essentially. And so, like, of course, there's another... Uh, Another facet to the trap that ends up seeing Samuel Jackson basically get lit up by the SWAT squad that returns and in the final, the uh, shootout, then Shank escapes. And the movie literally just ends with that, with Shank escaping and then Zeke screaming as he escapes. So clearly, I think they're going to continue the story, which is not necessarily what I would want them to do because I just don't see a future in Chris Rock's character. Um, other than the very immediate, I have to track down the man that killed my father type thing. Um, but I guess like moving forward, some things that they need to do, I think they need to rebrand Jigsaw in a way that it continues the traps, but they need to give him his own look. They need to give him an equally iconic uh, sound. That was one of the big kind of gripes that I had with this was, is that they're moving away from analog technology from the previous films in terms of portraying uh, the Jigsaw tapes, right? So they're continuing with this, but now there's this digital era. So they're not using VHS tapes or tape recorders. It's all audio files. And Jigsaw's voice just sounds like what I would imagine like an internet, uh, internet hacker in a young adult novel would sound like, right? It's very kind of electronic and cryptic, but it doesn't really have a personality behind it, which it wouldn't because it's being digitally recorded, right? It's being digitally manipulated. But in that, it removes a lot of the sort of just, I mean, obviously you don't have uh, Tobin Bell returning in that facet. Mm -hmm. That's fine, right? We're turning a new page. But if you're going to remove the person that was able to make, just from his voice, a very lasting and sinister impression upon a series, you got to replace it with a guy that can do that equally. Mm -hmm. You can't give me some young, handsome guy, but then he loses all of the not tenacity, but just again, like that sinister nature and what he's able to convey just through his voice. Yeah. Right. And I think that those tapes, they, again, it, it funnels into every other facet of this film where it feels very scattered tonally. It doesn't feel necessarily like this works in a way that it should. I don't see Jigsaw or even just the copycat moving forwards, retaining the same sort of just iconic nature that Tobin Bell brought to Jigsaw and John Kramer. Yeah. If they want to introduce a new killer or a new recurring copycat killer, that's totally fine, but they have to do it in a way that it carries on that legacy. Otherwise, leave that legacy behind in the past because if anything, every time I had to listen to Detective Shank's uh, saw of tapes, basically, it just completely took me out of it because it just sounds goofy, right? It doesn't sound sinister it sounds silly in a way that it sounds like the audio that would be in like a pop-up on the internet or something yeah no i would agree with you i mean again i think that's that's going to end up being the key if they can find a way to replicate a john kramer-esque character um you know in a more modern way um yes then this could be in theory it could be a successful reboot or they could have something but um 
you know, there are however many, you know, scary movies there are and scary, you know, horror series there are. I mean, there's very few of them that have iconic characters like that and even fewer that have been able to replicate that in any kind of way, you know, moving away from that that main horror figure in that series. So um, they certainly, you know, they certainly have an uphill battle for them. Yeah, I think a lot of care went to again kind of like redefining the structure of what could be found in a saw movie and again like it's a spin-off but still again it has more of an emphasis on the detective angle it's less sort of these uh elaborate gore scenes right there's there's still plenty of gore and whatnot but it doesn't feel as egregious in a way that it kind of ends up feeling silly by the end of it and yet the actual icon the horror icon itself like they didn't really do it they played it safe essentially in a lot of ways with it being another copycat but it feels like a missed opportunity to have the genesis of a new central antagonist or at least the the vision of an antagonist that could carry us through another four or five of these movies mm -hmm. right i think the further you get you're never going to be able to have a saw movie or a saw spinoff without referencing John Kramer and Jigsaw and these things, but there's been no real evolution on that core idea. Yeah. And I think that that's what they really need to do if they're going to start delivering these movies again in a two or three yearly basis, granted, across a pandemic timeline, who knows when the next one of these will get. But in general, you would think that they would have made some new strides in evolving on that character rather than it just being essentially another copycat that has a different motive for doing exactly what the last two or three copycats have done. Um, but I guess in closing, sort of what are your wishes or your hopes for the future of Saw? Like what are some advancements you would want to see them, whether it be in the traps or the narrative structure or just in terms of like a central hero or villain? I mean, Look, it's it's very difficult to replicate what they did in the first movie that that made this series iconic, right? Um, the gore and all that other stuff, it's certainly great, especially if you're a horror fan. But I think what made this this series so unique was how it kept you on kind of the edge of your seat of what really was about to happen next. I would rather them put more money into an A-list writer you know, to make sure that the the story really holds well, rather than try and shell out, you know, however many millions of dollars for, you know, two or three relatively, you know, well, in Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson is very well known, but I believe Max Minghella has also been in some, some stuff, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, going back to, you know, the more obscure actors, but that you don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm hoping, I'm hopeful that they can go back to that kind of a model rather than this more Hollywood glamorized version without any kind of script. That would be my kind of hope. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, right? I mean, Samuel Jackson gets murdered, but he's in barely any of the movie. So it's like, yeah, of course he does. At no point did I think they were going to kill Chris Rock off, considering how central he is to this film. And I think that that is definitely part of the charm of the early Saw films and that anything can happen. Mm -hmm. And that carries on throughout the series, right? Because the majority of the people are not well-known actors at that part point. Um, but yeah, it's definitely the type of thing when you put somebody like Chris Rock in, a, in one of the most revered comedians of all time, and of course he's had plenty of acting and television work and these things, 
it's hard to remove Chris Rock from him playing a character, right? I think there's just, at least like getting to be almost, we're both almost 30, like it's getting to the point where we've been watching these actors for so long that for me at least, it's super difficult to remove them from what they've done previously, right? And it's like a Tom Hanks or even a Brad Pitt, right? Phenomenal actors. I think that they have made some of the, they've given some of the best performances and some of the best films and all these things, but I've been watching them on in movies now for so long that every time I see them, I'm like, oh, that's that actor. Mm. I never find myself really getting lost in their roles just because personally, and this is a, a me thing maybe, it's just, I've seen them in so much that it's like, yeah, I'm still gonna enjoy what they do and I'll be able to critique it accordingly, but I'm still in the moment. It's hard for me to remove the actor from the character. Yeah. Um, and I think that Chris Rock had this same problem. And again, this ties into the writing probably more so than just his acting ability because I mean, he, we've seen him act before and he's able to pull it off. But I think when he does what he does best in a setting where it feels so foreign, mm -hmm. you can do that sparingly, but you can't give him these three or four monologues that he would usually do on stage yeah. and have that fill up screen time. I think it's just, it's too awkward. It doesn't meld well enough. And also it's Chris fucking rock. Like you can't remove Chris rock from whatever he's doing. Right. And I, I mean, I wouldn't expect him to either because that's what he does and that's what he does best. Mm -hmm. It's just unfortunate that he's so heavily involved in the film in the regards to like, again, you're just not able to take him out, Chris Rock out of Zeke. Yeah. Which I think his character would have been stronger had it been completely different from what we exactly what we were expecting and what we got. Yeah. So also to your point, I mean, I watched 13 hours for the first time today and John Krasinski's in it and I've seen him in the office, however many hundreds of episodes in that, right? If he made a joke or he stared at the camera at all in that, or same thing in a quiet place, I couldn't take that movie seriously, no matter how good it was or the crazy action stuff like that, right? I think that Chris certainly, ha Chris Rock is, is, could be a good actor, but they certainly have to create a character or at least write a little bit better to, to help assuade any of those kind of situations that could come about for us. I don't think Chris Rock being just a fan of Saw should be the only credentials other than his previous acting work that automatically sort of just like thrusts him into this role but then also he's so heavily involved in the writing and in production granted all of his lines for the monologue stuff he wrote himself and that shows not saying that it's not a good quality it just is very in line with his writing style on stage and whatnot which is great but when you put it into a movie like this it just does not work for me i'm sure there are some people that appreciate the tonal changes in this movie and the comedic elements but it was a little too heavy-handed for me at least for uh, a majority of the time on when he's on screen doing that yeah no i would agree with you i mean again i i think to to, to wrap this up this movie certainly it has its qualities and i think that this is a step in the right direction, but I, I think the the biggest thing, and I think most people who are you know Saw fans would agree to this. I think this was a, a missed opportunity, um, and I, I certainly hope if there is a second movie, which uh, or second movie in this uh, trajectory of the series, right? Um, you know, they can kind of capitalize a little bit more on on the name than just you know keeping it as an extension, but 
um, trying to trot their own path, so to speak. Because I think if they aren't able to find, like I said, a character that's enticing to watch, whether it is the police officer or the antagonist in this, we're gonna have uh, you know a, a pretty bleak kind of future for the Saw series, in my opinion. The sort of just being released during a pandemic, I mean, it kind of gutted the box office numbers compared to the past successes, but hopefully it did well enough that it was profitable. So there's that at least, but it is the type of thing where if they aren't quick on continuing the series within a short period of time, AKA not making us wait another five years for another one of these, it's the type of thing where, or four years rather from 2017 to 2021, it's the type of thing where it's like, okay, so essentially all this time will pass and then they're gonna do what is essentially another reboot probably. And then we're gonna get maybe a new tonal change or we'll get a new cast of characters, but it kind of just becomes this sort of seesawing between, are you gonna do one of these every five years or are you gonna do one of these every two to three years, which the previous films did. And that's an element that I think made the series work much better than if they had taken these long breaks in between of those early chapters, granted, releasing things on annual basis is not the best in terms of quality, but there is a sense of continuity at least. And I think that that can't be overlooked when you're talking about a series or a franchise. If you're churning these out and they're not always the best movies, at least there is a semblance of continuity. And I wouldn't say that it was anywhere nearly as well orchestrated as something like the Marvel blueprint, but at least the original Saw films, you could see the story that they were telling and the trajectory that they were going in. Mm-hmm. wasn't always the best, but I think in terms of a series feeling connected to one another, it became its own world in a way that I think is why so many horror fans have really latched onto the Saw series. Yeah. I don't feel that with the last two films. It This barely feels like a reboot because I can already foresee us not getting another one of these for another three years and then people move on and then you have to worry about I mean, that's the big problem too with moving away from lesser known actors and going after big names. Yeah. Availability is a huge factor in that. And so that is gonna get in the way more than likely of getting a sequel for this anytime soon. I mean, sure, Chris Rock might be a massive fan of this, but if they do decide to do a sequel, is he gonna do another one of these movies over, I don't know, Netflix offering him $20 million or something crazy like that, you know what I mean? For a movie or a series or another stand-up special. It's the type of thing where when you're such a high commodity, at the end of the day, your agents and managers are gonna be like, listen, you get one passion project like Saw or like Spiral, but that's not where you're making your money right. at all. And we're not gonna entertain too many more of these, right? On such a close, uh, closely released schedule uh, as it were. But yeah, you know, it's the type of thing where I really hope that they are going to actually continue this in a timely fashion. It's just, it remains to be seen and again, this occurring in COVID is not uh, the most inspiring of times, you know, to start a new series or to continue a series. But uh, I got to thank you, Bernie, come up for uh, coming on this journey with me and uh, completing this long and at times uh, arduous task of completing the Saw franchise. No, it uh, certainly was my pleasure, man. It's, uh, you know, always fun chatting with you. And, uh, you know, I think watching these movies again um you know certainly some some really good movies that we watched and certainly some, maybe uh some poor ones in a nice way i could describe them that way but uh no i i very much appreciate you having me on and, and being able to discuss this with you man anytime and uh, you and i are gonna do some brainstorming over the next couple of weeks and maybe think about 
the next series or perhaps we'll just do a few one-off reviews but uh as always i look forward to chatting horror with you in the future for uh daily horror habit appreciate it brother if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to daily horror habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on instagram at daily horror habit and on twitter at daily horror pod for episode updates thanks again for listening and i'll see you guys next time